I hope one of you dies so fast. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenacast. I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. This is Bonnie. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we're going to be talking about Christmas. But we're going to be talking about Christmas through a very particular lens, a lens that many of you have called for, have shouted for, have talked to us about. Uh, it may be a lens that we just need to go out and change the name of the podcast itself, but we're going to be looking at Christmas through a process theology lens, and I'm very uh, excited about this. Uh, so, of course, our resident expert, we've defined this, we've established that, our resident expert, Professor Bonnie Rambob is going to be guiding us through process theology in Christmas, how we can make the season a little more jolly with a little more uncertainty. And that's how we're going to move into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for our segment, we're doing a new one. Uh, we're going to be gift giving from the afterlife, a little segment that we're going to be calling I Will You. So yeah, this is I'm, I'm excited about this. This is a good way to finish off the year. Bonnie, take it away. I'm I'm out. I'm out. I'm shutting up. <laughs> yeah, Christmas in process. So I think the idea behind this episode is to just talk about Christmassy things and then relate them to process theology um, and ideas that come into the world through process thought and process theology. So why don't we start with this classic Christmas favorite? The song, Oh Holy Night. There's this this line in that song that makes me cry almost every single time I hear it. It's the line, the soul felt its worth. Yeah, so what does that lyric mean to you? Well, for me, that's that's kind of the reason I'm, well, it is the reason I'm Christian. Is that that whole message to me, that is the gospel, that is the good news is that we as souls have worth. And while the Christ story isn't the only story that helps us connect to that worth, um, it's the one that I have and, and the one that I've grown into and grown up with. I think about the most personal things in my life and in my spirituality, maybe my mystic experiences or like mystical experiences. And Every time I feel like connected to God in some way, and for us evangelicals, quasi-evangelicals, post-evangelicals, a lot of time that's like worship, right? You're feeling connected to God. There is something very affirming in that, I think for me as a person, to be in God's world with God. And, and that's so weird to talk about because I think it's really deep for a person like me. As Casey can tell you, twos struggle to feel their worth sometimes. Right. And uh, I think for me, my spiritual growing edge and practice is to recognize that worth. And in a process setting, everything is is important. There is no like small actor in this huge drama that's going on, including me. And the fact that I can be connected to God 
is just mind blowing to me or connected to other people and have impact on their life. The whole story of, of the Holy night is that seemingly worthless people and things and events mattered so freaking much. (laughs) And that's a cool, cool thing I can take away from it. I will often tell young people who are LGBT and coming out that uh, a lot of times you will hear from adults in your life or the world that you are worthless or that you are broken or an abominable or whatever, but um, to trust that still small voice within yourself that says you are worthy of love, that you are good and whole as you are. And so although that's not like a religious thing, right, that's not... I'm not talking about spiritual things, but I am all at the same time. And so when I read that, the soul felt its worth. That's what bubbles up for me. Like that, the space to recognize how worthy we are of love, of kindness. Yeah. Uh, I hate Christmas music and. I remember, boo, yeah, 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 humbug, <laughs> jeez. But I, I, it's it's because um, going into you from evangelicalism into more of a mainline denomination, we're more hymns where I'm listening more into the like Oh Holy Nights and the you know the traditional Christmas songs were before I was you know I don't know there there weren't really something I paid attention to, and one of the things that I dislike the most about that transition into evangelical worship style into mainline worship styles. I hate hymns in general. I think they're pretty atrocious. Uh, their theology for the most part is not mine. Uh, so, and one of the things I always like to do in my teaching is to <laughs> subvert things that people have heard over and over again <laughs> and, and then, you know, make them wonder, wow, I shouldn't have liked that for decades. It's just my favorite thing to do. And, uh, one of the I, I taught something on this particular song, and it's funny that you mentioned this particular line because I think part B of this line, "The soul feels its worth," is wonderful. Uh, I love it. I, I, all the things that everyone have said so far, it's great. Like this is the way that we should live. I think it's the thing that motivates us and the work that we do with this podcast and beyond. I love that. It's that first part that says, "Till he appeared." <laughs> So it's the it's this this interlining connection of our worth only there because of God. And I know that you know we've been created in the image of God and all that kind of stuff, but to me it rings to that whole idea of original sin, depravity, all that kind of stuff is that your worth doesn't come from your being, it comes from the outside and without that outside you don't have that. Uh so that I think that's why I, I love this concept and I think it needs to be hammered home over and over again is that I think sometimes the traditional language, unless we qualify it, of our hymns, especially the Christmas season, because I feel like a lot of stuff is forgiven in the way that old Christmas songs are worded and said that we just let go because it's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Uh, so not to be contrary to everyone else, <laughs> but I, I, I do love that line. And I just I just. And I think what I love so far about what I've learned from process theology on my own, and then especially from you, Bonnie, is that idea of that, that we can be untethered from that, uh, you know, relation to our worth comes only from God and that our, we, we do have intrinsic worth and that those things can be, you know, mutually exclusive. So all that to say, 
yay for our soul feeling it's worth. Okay, I I got a thought. Um, first of all, I'm I'm so deeply disturbed that you hate Christmas music. That's troubling, but I'll I'll get over that. Um, but what if what if the soul inherently has its worth? Right, it's there, but it's dormant because it hasn't been affirmed. And so Christ appearing doesn't make the soul worthy. It is, it's the the presence and mission of Christ to make us affirmed, to affirm us. So we awaken to our own worthiness. Because we all we all need that, you know, as children and and all the way up. I, I don't want to sidetrack the conversation, but <laughs> that's problematic to me as well. I do. Uh, I, I just in the sense that, um, yes, we can be awakened to that, and and you know, Christ awakens us to that and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know how to fully articulate it. With the, why does it always have to be about Jesus? <laughs> you know, like uh, I had Agreed. a and I lost it. Agreed. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I just uh, go ahead, Molly. Well, I was going to say, could, process theology may offer a way through this. Um, this idea that God's love is creative and responsive, and um, that you know, through Jesus and and folks who have inherited other traditions, there may be other ways of explaining or describing this kind of creative, responsive love that is God. Um, in process that it has there has to be like a it's in some ways there's a cycle to a process so there's the creation there's that which comes into the world and then there's that which is felt in response to what comes into the world and and no person no becoming is isolated from any other becoming or any other process so in some ways it's it's not just like you can create something, bring it into the world. It has to also be felt and experienced, received, responded to. So the soul's worth or the soul, the soul, there's the soul's worth, which may be inherent in the creation. And then there's the soul's feeling of the soul's worth. And it's both of those together that make a process. Does that make sense? Sort of. No, it makes perfect sense. And so it's like the thing that's so cool about process theology to me anyway, is that all things are valuable because of that creative and responsive love cycle that God, God sort of energizes all processes with this creative responsive love cycle but it's not separate from us it's it's part of us and value i mean where does value come from or worth for you in relation to christmas well i if yeah thinking about all of that like <clears throat> jeff makes a good point the song is talking about the world laying dormant in error and sin, and then Jesus comes and the soul feels its worth. On the surface of it, that's true. I mean, if you think about the the like 
fascist empire of Rome and its domination of all these different people. And here you have, we'll talk about this in a minute, but like Mary and you have Jesus and you have this oppressed people group, like that story, even calling Jesus a savior is flipping everything on its head and changing the story of worth because those individuals had no worth. And I mean, for a lot of people who are singing this song, they feel the same way. And it's like, wow, at least in the story of Christmas, humans, one human life is elevated to actually matter in comparison to the gods, in comparison to uh, the different entities that are controlling our lives. And then when I look and I see someone dragged off of an airline or like someone, a whole community having their water pumped out by a corporation, it, it helps me to remember that like individual lives actually matter, not just these bigger entities that are controlling all of our stories, but my story in connection with others is important. And, and what processed us for me in Christmas is like so much. Jesus was not like uh, you stop the story and then suddenly God shows up. It's everything added together. There is no like Jesus showing up with like a stork being dropped off. There's, there's so much going on in the story that you can't actually extricate it from the history. And that to me is like a really cool thing. It makes me feel like humanity. It, and now I'm going to speak as like a Trinitarian and I know we're not all <laughs> there necessarily, but to think that like human, the human story is connected to God's story like intricately and that they needed each other somehow to me makes makes human beings worth um yeah worth something not not we already had worth yes but it reminds me that we're worth something that god is active somehow in in the story i think that when we uh not just that um that god's active but that like moving forward what is our responsibility to um, not just acknowledge our own soul's worth, but the souls of others. Like that if we are all, if we are all a part of this story together that we are creating, by the way, uh, right? Cause there is no end. We're, we're, right. we're forming together. Um, then what is our responsibility to our neighbor and to the world? Um, to help all souls know their worth. Mm-hmm. And it's not just human souls in process thought, but it's all things, living things, non-living things. We are all connected in worth and through inherent worth. And because the God and world relationship is, is sort of reciprocal in process thought and process theology, we can say the soul felt its worth. We could also say God felt God's worth which is not something we often think about through the world's becoming God feels God's worth. Yeah. I think of like, um, well, you guys are, most of you are parents, right? I'm sure there are moments where you see your kids do things that are super awesome. And you're like, yes to that, you know, like there's a pride yeah. For sure. And I like to think the Christmas story leads on into Jesus's life and his teachings and affirming people's worth through parables and, and, and works and stuff like that. But I hear what Jeff's saying. 
Like, usually this is used in an exclusivistic kind of way. Like, there is no worth outside of Jesus. That's what I was told growing up. Hey, Martin Luther has a Martin Luther has a quote that uh, there's nothing good in you but Christ, and that makes you good enough. Right. That's awful. (laughs) I I think Jeff is like going to throw up. (laughs) I think I think that's what I'm thinking is like for a lot of for a lot of us, we were told outside of Christ, there is absolutely no worth. And whereas we're talking about discovering intrinsic worth, I can see how these it's so weird how. I see both of those things at the same time. Part of me is like, oh, red in this, the light of this, this is amazing and beautiful. And red in the light of this, it's one of the worst tools of of psychic oppression and control and, and pain. And it's just weird how that's like a double-edged sword. And it cuts but, right through the middle of my experience. Yeah, absolutely. But I think all of us and most of our listeners agree that that sort of exclusive thinking is bullshit. You know, or, so, or maybe thinking that over right now, or or are rethinking it. That's great, and 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 that's that's a hard place to be. But it's it's sort of like we as humans, we all need protein, right? We need we need uh, sources of protein in our diet. Yeah, brother. we don't we don't all have to eat chicken. Some of us go with the salmon. Some of us go with chicken. Some of us go with beans. Black beans. Black beans. But the point is, when we are around the table with our various sources of protein, we celebrate health together. Not necessarily, you need to get your protein the way I get it. So in a, in a similar way, I see our soul worth is to be celebrated however that comes to us. But for the Christian, it comes to us through the story of Christ. So – I love all that. And I I agree with that. I think that part of where I'm getting hung up, like I already regret even just framing my first answer around like, I hate this. Um, I think because I've gotten to a place where the gospel, I can't read without considering power dynamics. So when I think in terms of worth, I think that sometimes these words are so flowery, like you're worth something, your soul felt it's worth all that kind of stuff. But then I look at the world around me and not in like everything's falling apart because in certain metrics, the world is getting better in a lot of ways. Uh, but in terms of who we choose to direct those words to. So I think worth comes from power. I think it's just the way that it goes. Uh, and if we are not like Casey was saying, we're not transferring worth to other people by actions and everyday lives or by, by our regular actions separate from any kind of platitude and all that kind of stuff. And I think that for me, the reason that all these things lay hollow aside from just my, my own personal, inter, you know, interaction with the world and all that kind of stuff is that they're rarely followed up with anything other than that moment. And instead of being a moniker that embodies the way that people live in the world. And to me, that that's different. And to me, you can see that immediately in someone, right? Like you're, you can listen to someone talk about these words, either on a podcast or at a church, or even just in a conversation. And you could tell by the way that their body language is and the way that they light up, that this is something they live. And this is something that not just an extension of what they think Christmas is, but what they think life is. And, um, I'm fascinated by the, the the Christmas narrative and all that kind of stuff, and I think that we, um, yeah, I don't I don't know how I want to land that thought, but I just think that uh, just to answer your initial question, Bonnie, where does worth come from? I think it comes from power, and the most powerful force being love itself, and how do we distribute that to a place where people not just feel that worth but live into that worth? And I think that those are two separate 
distinct and important differences between those two phrasings, I guess. One thing Bonnie shared before that I, and correct me if I'm wrong, Bonnie, because I'm going off of memory from our previous conversations on process is that worth is linked with experience, like experiencing the world as an experiential being. There's a rock's existence, which is not neutral. It's a positive existence. But when you have complex thinking, like human beings or something like that kind of experience of the world is like increasing, increases the universe's experience of itself and God's experience of God's own self through the eyes of creatures. And so it's interesting, Jeff, you're talking about, you know, worth being located in power. And I, I totally understand that. But I've heard process theologians talk about worth being connected to ability to experience or and maybe that's wrong. And I'm scared a little bit if that's if you take that to its logical conclusion, like if people experience less, are they worth less? But Bonnie said, you know, God felt God's own worth. And so I think, you know, I I kill an animal just for, you know, just because like I, I don't try to to walk around it. I walk over it. And there is one less unit of the universe experiencing itself, even if it's a small little kind of thing. Um, And so I think about human lives too, like that's the universe experiencing itself and that's God Mm -hmm. experiencing God's self through people. That's blowing my mind (laughs) to like kind of take that to its conclusion. Yes. And, and it's so interesting to think about worth being grounded in power. I don't think I've ever thought of it that way before. Um, so I'm gonna have to think about that a little bit, but in, in process theology and process thought root or, or worth is rooted in being in, in becoming. Right. So, um, so my question with that and it kind of picking off what, what Alan says is that in, in real life experience, your, the extent to which you can become the extent to which you can experience is based off of the amount of power you have in a given situation. Yes, but the that that's all it is is the extent. It's not the worth. So every single process has inherent value and worth because we're all interdependent and interconnected. Right. And I, I'm and I should clarify. I'm thinking I'm saying specific felt worth. I I agree. I think intrinsically everything is worth and there there's there's equality there. But when we talk about this idea of felt worth about someone embodying and experiencing their worth, that's, that's what I mean of what primarily dictates whether someone feels that. Yeah. I, I don't agree with that, Jeff. I mean, I, I got, I've got relatives that are amongst the poorest people in the world, both presently and historically. And when I spend time with them, they've got worth and they know it, you know, they, they have a lot of joy in their lives and they have no power, they have no money. Um, but there, there is palpable joy and palpable worth in their company. So I'm, I'm not sure that axiom is universal. You did say that, that the most powerful thing in the universe is love. So I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with Jeff. I think we understand our worth through other people. Nobody feels worthy mm-hmm. alone. Nobody feels like, mm-hmm. so I totally Agreed. agree with Jeff in the sense that like, if love is the most powerful thing in the universe, power is a form of experiencing felt worth. And it, and it takes that love being reflected back to us for us to kind of heal and grow and see ourselves as full, you know, community members. 
Sounds my there. official translator, by the way. This Sorry. Is why this is why he's on the show, because he'll, <laughs> <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. That's what you said. What, yeah, what I, Alan I, said. I what Alan that, said. That, that's what you were meaning, Jeff? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, but, okay. but, but taking a step I'm, back I'm from, but taking a step back from that, I, I'm so fascinated in like the process theology doesn't even define it that way necessarily. It's not necessarily about like, like love is a big part of process theology, right? But so is experience. I don't know if those are two different things, but just the ability to experience itself is like a a, a holy thing. That's the foundation of all reality or little right. bits of events. Ex- yes. Yes. And you can describe those as experiences, right? Yeah. Actual occasions are mm-hmm. experiences. Actual occasions are actualized experiences, but the occasions of experience is what all reality is based off of. And so that- we would like a universe where there's more things experiencing more. And when we did, when we diminish people like, you know, first century Jewish folks, what we're doing is diminishing the whole universe when we do that. Yes. And not just people. I think that's really important. And and that's one thing that's really different about process theology than other traditional theologies. It is, it is not anthropocentric. It's all creaturely existence. And even the leap between non-living things and living things is kind of just like, it's a blip. It's it's not a huge, you know, difficult thing to go through. It's just a process in process, just decided to follow this direction instead of that direction. And there was life. And And there is, I think it's important to, Alan, you referred to something that we talked about earlier about feeling, the intensity of feeling is... Certainly, God in our becomings and the becomings of all the processes in the universe, God tends to each one of those becomings. And the more intense the feeling, the more God gets out of it, out of being present to that process. So, in that way, there is kind of a preference for the intensity of feeling, but not based on worth, just based on the intensity. Of or the, feeling or the complexity, the complexity, exactly. All you know, the, the various ways that processes are put together, it, and the more novel things are, there's a new intensity. I mean, like that, that sounds so like ecological to me, like rooted in like <sighs> biological sciences. It is DNA is the most complex molecule we've ever discussed, we've ever discovered in the history of humanity, anywhere in the universe. You can't find anything quite like it. And DNA has been like getting more complex throughout, you know, the eons of life. And it's just interesting. I don't know. I can't help but like think here Anne Lamott, you know, you, you know, you've made God in your own image when God hates all the same people you hate and like loves all the same people you love. We're these complex beings that are on this chain being like, oh, that's what God prefers. Maybe God doesn't. <laughs> Maybe God doesn't give a care. I mean, like, process theology is a working thing, right? It's not something that's saying this is the absolute truth, but this is an idea. And uh, I, I can't shake it at all. I think it's amazing. And not just that. I mean, if you think about how large the universe is, like, last night I was I was thinking about it like I often do. And I was just thinking, like, how small and insignificant our planet is and like how small and insignificant we are. If you look at a picture of the Milky Way and you see how far out radio waves have gone so that anyone would even know we're here necessarily, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little dot in the middle of the, the Milky Way galaxy. Like 
that's that's how far out our our culture has gone, at least in the form of radio waves. And it's like, if complexity is is the point of this thing, if God is experiencing God's self through the universe, there's probably way cooler stuff out there, <laughs> way older, way more intense um, than anything we could actually possibly ever imagine. And the story of Christmas and the story of my own life, my own Christ consciousness, right? Like, it, it it brings me up into that larger world. It's almost like it, you know, deifies all of us to have this story of God being with us and amongst us and living with us. It shows me my worth in, in the life of God. Yeah. And your, your point, Alan, about ecological mindedness, like most process theologians are also ecologically minded. I mean, they're activists for the environment. Many process Theology folk are also vegetarian because of the relationship. Um, had one professor who actually did a formal apology in class because she ate chicken as a way to sustain herself. She was like, I just can't get my body chemistry doesn't get the protein it needs from plants. And so she was like apologizing to folks for eating chicken, which I thought was like, that was really profound to to hear that sort of respect and reverence because of a process understanding that's so intensely relational. I I was just actually going to say that earlier when you were talking, Bonnie, I thought, oh, shit. Like, the, if we take this as far as we should, we all would be vegetarians. <laughs> and then Rajiv brought that up, and I was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Or at least we would have a sense of reverence for taking right, the yeah. life of another living thing. That's right. Um, and, you know, like Whitehead says, all life is robbery. You can't live without consuming. And so um, that that puts somebody in a humble position when you think of yourself, your life, as being a life that requires other living things to die. But let's... So uh, don't, don't leave that yet. That's so interesting. <laughs> so we're taking the small... Uh, the universe's ability to understand, to feel itself, to experience itself, even in small ways, like animals do, we're ending that for our own ability to experience the universe, which may be bigger. And there has to be some kind of like reverential experience, like, like plants maybe don't experience the universe as complexly as, you know, beetles do and beetles as, you know, the higher up on the, on the, the food chain. But I hope, and maybe this is, there's, maybe this is not the right way to think about it, that my life experience of like gratitude for the universe is at least grounded enough to merit all of the experience that I've ended to actually be here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? All the lives that, that have gone into my life. So that's a weird thought. Okay. So I, I have a question about this. This isn't just because I'm a staunch meat eater and I, I love it and I'm never going to give it up. I shouldn't say that now because I might literally eat my words later. But so, and, and I can't remember if I asked this. Oh yeah. So, but within process theology, does then the complexity of the life bring it more value? Because if it does vegetarian, you're still eating life. Like if you're, you're in this whole connection thing. So complexity is a higher value of life. Yes. Or. I don't know about value, but um, there, there is a, there's a preference, I guess, for the more complex intense feelings of experience, which the more complex life forms are capable of. And so, yeah, Mm. in that way, it really takes hierarchy seriously. And it's not just like humans and then all other things. 
it, there's a cow, like, I don't know if you've seen the, those YouTube videos of the cows listening to, to music and the way they seem to be like actually enjoying music. Um, so you have to think about that, right? When you eat a steak, if a cow is, has the capacity to enjoy beauty and music, is it okay to eat a cow? And I, I would say, yeah, if, at some point. But Margaret Atwood, the reason I became a vegetarian for a couple of years, which hopefully I'll go back to uh, eventually when I become more of an ethical person, she, she wrote this book, the sci-fi book, where there's this future Christian cult called God's Gardeners. And if they ever got into a situation where they had to eat an animal, they'd start on the lowest food part of the food chain. That was their ethic. They would eat insects or something and then eventually make their way up to survive to keep their life force going. I just wonder how utilitarian that is. Cause I've seen that kind of ethic used to like, you know, I think of ethnic cleansing and genocide and all that kind of shit. Like, Oh, your life is worth less because you're this kind of human with these kind of abilities. And if you have these kind of abilities or you're this kind of genetic makeup, you're worth more. That right. scares me. That's the right. one place where I'm like, I don't know. And that's where I'm like, I, I'm not hung up on the food thing, but I'm hung up on this this hierarchy of life thing that I, I, I don't know if I, I've picked that up yet so far. And I think it was just the way Alan worded something when he was talking before that I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like it just immediately didn't sit well with me. It's something I have to sit with it for a while because I, I, that, and I don't, I don't like to use this because it's been used against so many people, but that feels a potential slippery slope in terms of then who's determining the hierarchy of that life and then that's where I'm kind of like, ooh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I think that, it, but I guess any theology has a way it can mm-hmm. be distorted. Um, but that one in particular, I, I have to sit with that. Yeah, and I, I think though that whether we examine it or not, it's how we function. True. Yeah. And so perhaps using this as an opportunity to actually look at the way we're functioning. And making ethical decisions around the way we function um, could actually be really important and useful to uh, useful to us, especially given our ecological devastation that we're experiencing. And if if we think of, of ourselves as being intensely relational and communal instead of individualistic, then hierarchy changes completely. Mm. The I- ideas around hierarchy change completely because it's not a hierarchy of like substances. It's a hierarchy. It's not, I mean, I'm using the word hierarchy because I don't want to try to sugarcoat something that's like the way we all function. We've already decided that there are certain life forms that are okay to eat. It, that That's an interesting point. If you look at it from an ecological model, human beings have a negative effect on the environment right now. That's just the way it is. A human being has a net negative effect on the ecological, but worms, absolutely positive. And so if you look at worth as like somehow connected to all those inner relationships, fascinating how that changes the conversation. Absolutely. Because I think we we come to the conversation with the assumption that we somehow would be the top for in in every given circumstance. This is another episode. I'm writing this down. (laughs) I know. This is like so many. Let's keep this on Christmas. Christmas. Let's keep this on Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of us for all the future episodes that we've laid the groundwork for. Yeah. I'd love to move the conversation before we run out of time um, to this image of 
of Mary and and Jesus, which is almost on every you know on so many Christmas cards, right? There's this image of the Madonna and the baby Jesus. Madonna, no, Madonna. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you some some Christian theologies and and even process theologies? depict that image as an image of the incarnation, the image of God with us. What do you think about that? You, you, you did some of the work for this episode and we're asking us really important questions and you're talking about like not imagining God as touching the earth through Jesus, but touching the earth through Jesus and Mary together. As soon as I like thought through that, I could see, so many of the like um, prejudices of my upbringing, like we never talked about Mary. We would never focus on that. Like the like, you know, Orthodox and some Roman Catholic churches will talk about Mary, the mother of God being an important part of the story. You know, Protestants are singing that song, Mary, did you know? As if like Mary has no idea. I hadn't sung her, her song in the, you know, in the gospel earlier. Um, and then I realized, like, there would be no Jesus without Mary. What? I never thought of that in my entire life. There would be none. There would be no Jesus without Mary. And her assenting to God, saying yes, was an important part of the process. And that, if that's not a picture of process theology, I don't know what is. Like human beings doing something with God and creating something new. And then following that, I'm like, there'd be no Christianity without all of us. If none of us existed... On this planet, there would be no Christianity at all. The human element of what we of of faith and spirituality and Christianity, Protestant Christianity, gets lost so often. I think, and thinking about Mary is a key to opening that. Right, and that that image of Jesus and Mary together made me think about a, a, a sentence from a paper that you wrote, Bonnie, on process. I'm just going to read that sentence. It says, the relationship between individual processes is better described as a, quote, structured field of activity, end quote, which is less about relationship by means of common form and more about relationship through common purpose. So when you have in view Mary and Jesus together, it isn't about two individual forms. It is about a common purpose in that single view is common purpose. What comes up for me is this, uh, you know, God with us, Emmanuel, right? Like this image of Mary and Jesus. We um, probably because that's what we focused on this morning in church. But I think of this vulnerable young woman who is bearing this child, right? I mean, that's sort of like the common conversation. But I think about like, the idea if if Mary and Jesus are are in this thing together, then how are we also birthing justice and love? How am I walking with with Emmanuel? You know, like how am I walking with God to experience a better reality for all of creation? Um, and if Mary can do it with Jesus, you know, then honey, maybe I can too, right? Yeah, like God's um, existence in the world uh, requires this, a spirit-bearing 
process. Right. And I think situating incarnation in this very natural realm of pregnancy and childbirth is also really interesting. Yeah. So the way that you word that when I'm thinking and I'm going through my whole idea of, you know, God with us, God, God among us, all that kind of stuff. I think it's really ironic that the idea of savior uh, has morphed in Western culture to the inevitable result of Superman, right? Like I'm bringing it back to comics. Here we go. Uh, you have this lone savior who does it all by themselves. Like I challenge you to watch any super Superman comic or show. And there's not the obligatory arm spread out moment where Superman has their, you know, arms extended like Christ on the cross, sacrificing the individual savior, but nowhere in scripture does God ever function as the lone a person of action from all the way from Genesis, you know, he's always partnered with Adam and Eve, partnered with Abraham, partnered with everything else. The only lone quote unquote hero that you have in scripture is, well, that I can remember offhand is Samson. And Samson was completely um, vilified within the form, the, the, the way of the narrative. Like Samson was not a good person, uh, but was used because he used and it was this lone person didn't want to connect with anyone. And the, the end result of that was complete like separation and death. And there was nothing that, that came from that rubble. It just ended. And I feel like Jesus and Mary is the extension of that, right? Like on Jesus's own as a child, a baby, there's no power there. Like there's nothing to, to sustain that. And there needs to be another sustaining force. And, uh, and then even Jesus choosing to connect with the disciples and then Jesus choosing to allow the church to do quote unquote, greater things than, than he did. It's the, 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 the biblical model of savior is partnership is, is a shared burden. And, uh, yeah. And you said all the way back to Genesis and I'm thinking like even before Adam and Eve, you're right. There was not some ex nihilo moment where there was nothing and God created everything. There's the waves. There's this like chaos, chaotic waters that have all this potential that God is hovering over. So it's already partnership in the latest, the biblical text and, and the, and, and the biblical the text back. signaling out a spirit separate from God that hovers the waters, like that there's this already pre existing partnership and, and interconnectivity that's happening. It's, it's, and so it's, it's in, yeah, and it's also interesting, like you you said, Bonnie. Uh, it's fascinating setting it in the the context of birth and thinking of like, you know, the waters of birth and of Mary and her womb and like all the creative elements that are a part of that. And she is the person giving birth. If you don't have that, like you don't have Christmas, right? And you don't have Jesus. And I, I always forget that for some reason. I feel like Jesus was just inevitable, but that's not necessarily true. You have to have all these other things happening before that 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 occasion can come about. Right. And pregnancy can be a great metaphor for thinking about process because the the becoming subject within the womb is is not able to, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been actualized. It's it's in process and it's not until this child is born and is separate from, I mean, still always connected because has the DNA carries, you know, so much of the same processes of becoming, but uh, it's not until the child is, is separate that you actually can say, here is a becoming subject. 
on its own as, as a process in its own process, separate from the process of the mother, or in this case, um, Mary. So it's really interesting, I think, to think about. And I think it's sad that that really important part of the story of Christmas often gets kind of just, uh, just go, it's, it, we go through it very quickly, even though there's within the narrative, there's Mary who becomes pregnant with spirit, however that works, and then goes to visit her, her cousin. It looks like we have these two pregnant women in relationship with one another as part of the narrative of Christmas. And that often gets completely overlooked. And God needs Mary, right? Right. God God needs. Yes. And how many sermons have we heard where it was like Mary so humbly, so graciously said yes, you know, like, like this was a have to moment, you know, like Mary could have been like, fuck off. No, thanks. Absolutely. And whole generations of us can be like, no, thanks. We're not going to do this thing of birthing, like you said, Casey, justice and, and some people might call it Christ consciousness or whatever. And I, I, I'm like, this is all kind of coming together for me because we can understand our interdependence as much as we can. No other life can experience it like we do. Like we see the bigger picture. We see how interconnected we are. It's on us to actually think about all those things. Exactly. I don't know if we see the bigger picture. <laughs> I know. Okay. We, I, we think we can, I think we can yeah. hope for a bigger picture. But I, mean, I think like, that the environment is what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of like ecology. I'm thinking of the interconnectedness of, of you know, the, the, the sands in Sahara and the, the rain in the Amazon. Beetles don't think about that. Like animals don't think about that. We can see that and we see our actions affecting the whole. And it took all of us, all life to get us to where we are right now to where we can think about all of this interconnectedness. So we should be, we should be pushing process thought as far as we possibly can. That's exciting. Remember, remember episodes ago when Alan was like, I'm not sure about hey. any of this. <laughs> I'm still, I'm saying I'm still in process. Look, hey, right? Right, that's I'm right. Not. I was just about to say it. We all are. <laughs> I, yes. I don't know. I don't know what I think. Maybe it's going to hit something, some core part of my spirituality, and I'm going to react. Who knows? I think we already are. <laughs> well, all right. Let's talk about Christmas. Unless anybody else wants to say anything about Mary and Jesus, that's something I could talk about forever. Yeah. I I mean, for me, I, I the picture of Jesus is supposed to be scrubbed of all of its humanity, and that includes Mary. That includes human families. And so – Jeff has some family that I would spend holidays with and they would have depictions of Jesus like breastfeeding. And I remember being like 19 years old and being like, that's so profane. I didn't think it was profane, but still something in me was like, that's so wrong. Jesus never breastfed. No way. You know, like how inhumane has our picture of a savior or Jesus actually become and how opposite of of what we're discussing is our experience of Christmas so often. Thank you, Bonnie. I I have to think about all of this a lot more. Yeah, there's so many beautiful icons to reflect on, too. Of it's if you look at especially the Orthodox icons of Mary and Jesus, it's almost like they share the secret knowledge between them. And I mean, they're just depicted that way, and I think that's really powerful. That incarnation. 
this like idea of wisdom and love and justice born into the world is it, it comes into the world like you said Jeff in partnerships and the soul knew its worth yeah <laughs> hey, Bonnie I'm just I'm just wondering with the hyper commercialization and consumer consumer driven nature of the Christmas season you know driven by marketing and the retail establishment um how, how does process like comment how does it see that process economics yeah something like that <laughs> oh um it's not capitalist i don't think <laughs> you can't experience the world without this gadget <laughs> it's impossible you're depriving God by not buying this today. What are you talking about? I prefer the holy image of Santa Claus kneeling at the manger. Uh, it's, it's prominently displayed during the holidays in this house. With a gun? <laughs> With a gun. Of, course. Right. of course. And a flag. On, on black velvet. <laughs> but yeah, this idea, like, how many times have you heard, um, you know, reports of earnings or growth? Right. right? This, like, They're already huge coming out. push for growth, 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 growth in the economy. I mean, what does that do to us relationally? M more money hasn't always translated into better living, right? Like, like Iceland right now, they're just calling on the whole world this week to evaluate their, their country based not on GDP, but quality of life. That's right. That See, would be that's amazing. That's a radical idea. It is. But it shouldn't be. <laughs> no. <laughs> Because why make all this money? Honestly, why? Why? If it's not going to, like, better everybody's lives, you know? But I think also, I mean, when we talk about consumerism and capitalism and blah, 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 like, what do, what do these material items do to our relationships? I mean, starting from the people who have to make them for five cents or whatever the hell, all the way up to the relationship that we have in giving these things are um, our relationships solely built on how much we give one another. Like, is that how we are defining love? I think that's key. It distorts our relationship because it, it connects it to debt. Like our economy is based off of debt. Like we, our money is only valuable with the more debt that we have within the federal reserve. Like it is a backwards ass system and it translates to our relationship. And, and I think that that's right. I think that it seems to me that process theology is like this natural like flow of what relationship interconnectivity is and capitalism, at least the way that we do it distorts it because it, it creates a sense of debt between people and that muddies the water. Well, I mean, you talk about like worthiness in, in the gift giving epidemic um, and it's like, well, it, I, this person just gave me some homemade cookies. I must not be worth very much to them. <laughs> Where it's like, I mean, it's it's so jacked up. And and that debt thing is real. That debt thing is is just so tragic because people are worried about others feeling loved by them that they go to near the brink of financial ruin just just to to you know, measure up. Right. And, and a lot of times the very things that we're offering people, I mean, I especially think of like young people and parents 
are dividing them even further, right? I need to buy my kid that iPad or that i whatever the hell. Um, and what does it do but keep them that smartphone, right? I mean, it's, it's not just about the item, but that item is used to keep the distance between them even further. Mm-hmm. And all that thought doesn't happen before it's released. It happens after. Like, we release these things because they're going to make us money. And then after the fact, we think about how it's affecting society. And it would be cool to have an economy based on, well, let's think about how this could affect people and then release things that are good for all of us. Right. And that, that kind of like thought could be the cornerstone of an economy. I think, I don't know. Yeah, Absolutely. Just not capitalism. Right. Well, I mean, we could begin by questioning why growth is the end all be all. Like, what is it that we, why do we care about that so much? Why is worth connected to production? I want to give a shout out to a previous episode. Jeff, it was something about uh, unlimited growth. I forgot what episode that was, but you're my, you're my brains and our history keeper. Something about unlimited growth. Cause we did uh there's this myth. There's a, a myth of unlimited potential growth that we can just keep mining all the nickel in the world and that it'll always be there and then we'll never run out. Right. And that we'll constantly be releasing new things. Right. Forever. And and how is the land not part of our equation? Like when we think about growth and production and you know, we have this idea that capital is important, labor is important, but what about the land, which provides all of the resources in order for production and growth to even happen? Right. I mean, this connects even to like when we're talking about the election, right? And all of these miners and all these people who are who are like, we need our jobs back because it gave us identity and purpose. And we know that we can't do that anymore. And what is going to happen to people when they, when the way they've identified their, their jobs, their lives no longer exist or, or just they can't? Like these are serious things that we have to think about as a society. Like if our worth comes from how, what we make and what we do, we are in for a major crisis. I mean, we're, we're in that crisis. Yep. Already. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. We're, we're deep in it. Yeah. But because we have this idea, like Alan was saying, that there's just sort of the land will always – there'll be un, unlimited amounts of nickel or whatever it is that we think that we need. I think we're they call not, it the myth of progress, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Un- it com- unlimited progress. Completely discounts the future. Completely. And we're only living in this moment and what we can get in the here and the now. And as long as those numbers seem to be edging up, we're fine. And we just not even edging up. Edging isn't enough for our economy. Like you have right. to have significant excess. That's that's the problem. Like to be up two percent from the year before in a business model is unacceptable. Uh, you, you your stock goes down if you grow, and you don't grow to a certain like it's 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 so broken. So you <laughs> so. you said it in that episode, Jeff, like years ago, and I've been thinking about that ever since. It's such a weird model. It's like, hey, you succeeded, but you didn't succeed enough. You sold more than you did last year, but it wasn't quite enough. That's that's kind of a uh, – that's not sustainable. There's no way that's sustainable. No, and it always keeps the rich people rich and very few rich people rich. And it always keeps the labor force, you know, at, at like basically subsistence level so that 
the goods can be sold at a decent price that as many people as possible can afford them. But you can't get paid enough to be able to afford them. So you go in debt. And a lot of this happens around Christmas. You know, people want jobs so they can buy Christmas gifts for their kids. Or they want, you know, it's it all it's all connected and it's so individualistic. Whereas process thought and process process theology thinks in terms of community, society, instead of the individual. And this capitalist consumerist enterprise, basically it works against human community. And it certainly works against, you know, the whole ecological community. I want to just want to tell people like you are the gift to your kids. Like it doesn't yeah. matter what family I've ever your worked time. with. Your time. You, you, your attention, yep. your yep. your presence. That's the thing they'll remember. That's the thing that, that's the thing they desire even when they're not saying it out loud and even they don't even know it. I mean, all of us did youth ministry at one point, right? And I think of the kids in my youth ministry who who like would just spend hours in my office and never stop talking. And their parents would come in and be like, you've made a huge impact in my, on my child's life. And I would be like, yeah, because I'm just sitting here listening. Like young people, that's all they really care about. As much as they act like they don't, you know, how was your day? Fine. That's just, uh, that's just like, uh, oh, you got to get past that. You know, if you shut down at every eye roll and short answer, you're in for a long, a long ride. Time is, is the most essential thing you can offer anyone. Yeah. I think that, yeah, time and just, you know, as far as a little, something con- concrete is to develop, ask developmentally appropriate open-ended questions. Yeah. And right. just sit back and listen. Right. And probably some cookies. I did like that. Oh Richie. yeah, totally. You can, you totally. can bake me some cookies for sure. Sure. No. Yeah. I, I, that's like the greatest <laughs> gift. I mean, I was using that as an example, not to hurt anybody who bakes right. cookies and gives them away, but I think that's the most beautiful thing um, that you can give somebody is something you made. Not to anthropomorphize anthropomorphize God, but maybe that's the core of process theology is one giant open-ended question toward humanity. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also the answer to that question, all the millions of ways that human beings and others answer that question is the gift to God and the gift to each other and to ourselves. When you bake somebody cookies, you're inviting them into your process of becoming and vice versa. And that's beautiful. And that's what, I, uh, that's what kids God. are yearning for, too. Like, how, what's out there for me to incorporate into my becoming? And parents, you're the closest ones to them in their own processes of becoming. And just being present to that is beautiful. And especially when it's dark outside and the stars are bright. And when you have to, you know, find, like, light candles and find ways to... Remember that light is coming, that the darkness, the, the nighttime passes into day. All of those things are beautiful gifts. I um my my grandma had Alzheimer's pretty bad when I like right as Jose and I were getting together. And um I think one of my greatest sorrows with her passing was that she never really had the opportunity to spend time with him because uh he might be the closest in terms of best baker ever 
to my grandma. Like, my grandma loved to bake. She couldn't make a grilled cheese sandwich to save her soul, but she could bake. And so I've decided for Christmas this year what all of my family are getting are her baked goods. Like, we're going to find her recipes, and Jose and I are going to make what she would have made around this time of year. And it'll be a very spiritual experience for me to, like, be in the kitchen with him making her recipes and offering them to family and friends because it just feels right. It feels more important and more like way more special, I think, than offering them things that they don't really need. You know, that's really beautiful. Yeah, that's good stuff. Bonnie, any any closing words of wisdom for us as we kind of wrap up this (laughs) Christmas conversation on process theology and move into our, our segment? Yeah, I the only closing wisdom that I have is um gratitude actually. You know, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for uh thinking about things in new ways. And uh yeah, may may your Christmas may all your Christmases be bright. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, if you have anything to add to this particular conversation, please feel free to reach out to the show. You can check out all the information on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 157. Uh, we have just as a, a side note before we close out this conversation, so thankful for the stuff that we've been getting from people uh, on Facebook and through email. Like it has been, I, I think, out of the, the whole history of the show, the last two months in terms of feedback from those of you that are listening has been wonderful. One of you put your Spotify playlist and to have us at the top of your most listened to podcast of the year, seriously freaking made my week. Like I'm just like best Christmas present. That that was awesome. It was amazing. It was was amazing. So thank you for that. Thank you all of you for, for interacting with our posts and um, you know, really uh, in terms of process and all that kind of stuff, really reminding us of the, the connection that we have with those of you that we've never even met and how That's right. uh, how in awe we are of this particular work. So thank you. So nothing is too insignificant to reach out to us for because uh, it's all amazing. Um, in fact, I think the things that probably some of you might think are the most like, oh, well, this doesn't matter, insignificant. Those are the things that to me are the most important Uh and you know, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I see nodding, so I, I think I'm, I'm safe in that assummption. So from our uh, home to yours, yeah. Merry right, Christmas. right. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So thank you. Continue to connect with us again. The show notes irenacast.com slash one fifty seven. We always have all the ways you can contact us through there. And uh, on the other side of the music, we're going to continue in the spirit of giving with a morbid twist. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, we're going to give it to each other. Uh, That's right. Um, Sure. (laughs) That's maybe not the... (laughs) On that note, let's let's go to the other side of the music. So, uh, we are back. Uh, it is the other side of the music, and we're going to be doing a new segment called uh, I Will You. And essentially how this works is in this hypothetical scenario, we are putting our wills out there. Uh, we have right. we, we have passed on, and because our only family is our podcast family, 
we have decided to gift our most precious things to our co-hosts, and we're going to share exactly what we're leaving in our will for our individual co-hosts. And I'm very and, curious uh, about this. Because I don't have you know uh, an immediate family of my own that I'm creating at the moment, I just want to uh, – just to get down on paper, this is enforceable, right? Like uh, – Legally, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Depending Everything upon... I'm willing you, you can have. You heard it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, who who wants to start? I'm I'm just gonna. Someone's got to be. Alan, you must be excited to to share this. Okay, I am actually. <laughs> How'd you know? Um. Okay. I'll I'll go first. So this is only in effect until you know. I get married or have children or whatever, if that happens. <laughs> and then all this is void. This is for all the lawyers out there, you know. Uh, I'll start with, let's see here. Casey, I recently bought a top-of-the-line computer, not just for the work that I do online, but also for uh, a once a month, all of the guys I grew up with from elementary school all the way on up. We all play video games for a night. And everybody gets beers. They tell their family they're going to be gone. And we play video games for one night. And this machine would be able to support you, Casey, in both your entertainment endeavors and in all the amazing work that you do. As someone who is one of the most well-connected people I've ever met in my life, it would be a pleasure to have my computer helping you at least a little bit in your efforts to care for everyone you know. So I'll leave that to you. Okay, hold, hold, hold up just a second. I must have totally misunderstood the spirit of this game. No, this is fine. No, you, you, you interpret do your it how thing. you want. You, you do your that's, thing. How you want. That's like a really nice gift, First of Alan. all, I'm a two, Raj. You're an okay. eight. There's going to be different experiences. <laughs> different right. experiences. I mean, I mean like, this, <laughs> is right. my, this is my wheelhouse right here, okay? So that, so, that sounds, like a, that sounds like a spoiler, Rajiv. So it sounds like yours are going to be a little bit more mean-hearted. So let's all prepare for that in our hearts. Yes. <laughs> Bonnie. Bonnie. I would leave you what little money I have, whatever whatever amount there is, for seed money for you to start your multiple doctorates that you're going to be earning Aww. in the next few years. So I would put my money toward that. Uh, Jeff, I would leave you my Prius. Uh, the twig is what it's called. And I know that your family respects naming cars, so you would respect the spirit of that car. And although it's so far down in the future, I would think that... One of, you know, your daughters eventually are going to need a starter car, and it'll be ancient technology, but they could drive the twig around as they're first discovering how to drive. I appreciate that. Um, and we certainly yes, would course. not change the name, because <laughs> we don't do that. You don't change uh, that's the... That's right. Yeah. The okay. twig. I was going to call it the leaf, but apparently there is a leaf car, so I had to call it the twig, which, uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. I've had lots of emotional years in that car. Is that, that why you have weird. the sticker of a twig on the back? Yeah, actually, my uh, my office coordinator that in 2016 bought that for me, and I was like, "That's so sweet," because it kind of looks like you know a bush with twigs. But anyway, okay, so Ra Rajiv, lastly, I would leave you the thing that means the most to me in my entire life, and that is my journals, all the journals I've written oh, in whoa. since I was a kid. Dude. Because I would trust Rajiv to read through them with kind of honor and reverence and to do whatever you decided with them because I would respect whatever decision you made as a friend. Oh, shit, man. I need to change my will right now. <laughs> <laughs> See, Don't we're talking about debt really in debt. Nice. Look, this is that's what we're really talking nice. about. Guilt Rajiv my, into a different direction. <laughs> those, are, those are my will. And that's enforceable. 
until you know. Yes, yes. I make know. friends or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Just make friends. Oh you my have God. friends, Alan. <laughs> All right. Are, are the rest of you like doing nice things? Go for it, Rajiv. Tell us yours. Yeah, yeah your turn, yeah, Rajiv. Yeah, your turn. Because I, I, <laughs> yeah. I need to do the dick list now. Your turn. So, your turn. Uh, <laughs> it can, it can uh, get out of the way. All right. I'm, uh, I'll start with Casey. Casey, I'm going to leave you a closet with no doors full of clergy drag. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and Rajiv has the best clergy wear in the world. Yes. <laughs> look, Rajiv, I have. Look. If you left me your alb, your your white with the with the trees on it, I sw- I would lose all the weight I needed to to wear that because it is the most beautiful. Well, you know, Bonnie made that. I know it. it it's, I know it's it. incredible. Yeah. It's it yeah, is seriously the it. most beautiful robe I have ever seen. It is a uh, okay. So the rest of these aren't really real, but they're good. <laughs> <laughs> so Bonnie, I would leave you a magical key and purse finder. Mm. I need that. <laughs> it'll it'll save you like years. Yeah, probably. Years of time. <laughs> but all my best thoughts happen when I'm looking for my keys. But I'll still take it. I'll use okay. it when needed. Right, right. There you go. So, Alan, I would get you a robot that every time you enter the room, it says, it's your robot, brobot. <laughs> <laughs> and I would feel that it was a continuation of you, so I would have to keep it around. <laughs> No That's matter right. what. You get it? Because Robot is its name. Uh-huh. The Robot. Yeah. And I'll give it a little fist bump when I walk by. <laughs> there you oh, go. And then, exactly. I'll kiss, and I'll kiss my hand and look up to heaven and all right, <laughs> And Jeff. Jeff, I will leave you assless chaps because you love to show your ass. Wow. Yes. Wow, Rajiv. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. That's more of a gift for... Uh, my partner, Kat. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Who's the next? I'll go. So, um, I love flat brim hats a lot and I have a collection of them. And when I pass, I would give all of my flat brim hats to my only other friend who wears them. Rajiv Rambo. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I will wear them too. So, um, I appreciate that. Jeff, I would leave you all of my comics. I am a huge Deadpool Spider-Man fan, and um, I'm actually into this Joker series right now that is super good. Um, Alan, I'm going to leave to you all of my books, except for these commentaries from the Old Testament. And I'll tell you about those in a minute. But Alan, you get all of my books because you are probably one of the smartest people I know. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank and you. And I think that you would treat them well because I know that you uh, treat your books like your friends. And then, Bonnie, you get my Old Testament, these nice commentaries I have about the Old Testament, uh, be- especially the one about the prophets, mm. because I think you're a prophet. So you get oh. not only my... My super big commentary on the prophets, but also this other thing I wanted to find, which is my protesting megaphone. <laughs> yes. That yes. says that says resist on the side of it. I love it. Not just because I know that you and I share this common like justice and uh, protesting passion, but also because I think the world needs to hear your voice. Hell Thank yeah. Thank you. That's a big megaphone, Thank dude. Thank you. 
That's what he said, honey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can I go next? Yes, please. My gifts are small but meaningful. Alan, you would get all of my Celtic books. I have like Celtic books of verses and blessings and practices, and I would give all of those to you as well as my German-Ukrainian cookbook. That's my family's cookbook because we, we share that her- heritage. Slancha. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, that's so cool. Um, Casey, I would, and I won't let any of your children read it. Okay, I'll, I'll cook all the food and keep it for myself. Okay. If they're hungry, though, you'd invite them over, right? Absolutely. Okay. That's all that matters. <laughs> um, Casey, I, I, I will give you all of my wine, which right now I have quite a stash. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And my backyard with all the lights and everything. So you can uh. just have that space and do whatever you want with it. Jeff, I would give you, I have these these books of icons and it's not quite like comic books or superhero books but they're these beautiful images of all the saints and um and stories of christianity and you could do whatever you want with them you could burn them whatever but i think at (laughs) least first look at them before you do that um and rajiv you're the only one that I couldn't think of an object. So you have my heart already. Um, <laughs> but I would will you my belief in you that that would continue. And then also all of my electronics, anything that plugs in, you could have it. Thanks. Wow. God, I tell you, I have never felt like a bigger dick than <laughs> like right now. <laughs> You are what you worship, Raj. <laughs> Is your God a dick? I think you Is asked your that God question. A dick? Yeah. <laughs> Bonnie, seriously though, that I will you my belief was beautiful. This must write that down and incorporate it into a rom com movie. Yeah. I believe in you too, Rajiv. If I died, I would want my will in you to also be there. Oh, thank you. That's the thank next you, you complete me right there. Like yeah, that. there it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's up there. All right. Uh, Alan, it's funny that you mentioned journals because since I've known you, you've had this weird and sometimes uncomfortable fascination with young Jeff. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so I have a stack of, because some youth pastor told me I needed to do it, of uh, – Stuff that I wrote down. So it's mostly my guilt after masturbating, uh, but some other stuff <laughs> put in there in these journals. So I'm going to give us, it to you. All of us in youth groups, we journaled at that time. Can't really, yes. It's okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to gift these to you. The no only, way. The only catch We're, being is that there is an NDA accompanying it. So absolutely. non-disclosure agreement. It's all you. How many years does it have to be buried? No, forever. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You, have to, if, you have to burn it along with your These ashes when you die. No, they really do. They do. Oh my god! <laughs> and and they're, they're dated, like so you know, like exact day. S- suddenly, is... I feel like Indiana Jones, and like someday 
You need to pull out that audio and isolate. (laughs) Your fascination with young Jeff has made me uncomfortable. (laughs) It's true. He doesn't doesn't deny it. It's there. Okay, look. Look, I'm really... Yeah. Yes. I would like to get to know the younger Jeff and know about his life. And he already has that propensity. Like, he collects journals from people that have already passed. So Uh, this is... Preserve. Preserve. Is, is the summary of <laughs> there's a fine line between voyeurism and honoring people's lives. Is the summary of young Jeff masturbation and guilt? Yes. That's the title of that <laughs> memoir right no. there. <laughs> like, that sounds like most uh, evangelical like teenage boys from like thirteen to that's all 18. of us. Not just boys. Yes, that's uh, right. Yes. Oh. Well, <laughs> You could see me shaking my neck. That's right. <laughs> it's important to say that, Jeff. Jeff, thank you. That means a lot. That means a lot to me. That's it's all yours, Alan. It's all yours. You get to, you know, and you know, I'll honor that NDA forever. And you should feel that like stuff written in there. No right. one, not even, yeah, right. It's it's all right. you, Helen. It's That's my amazing. my death gift to you. Uh, and uh, my other thing is if in my kitchen every piece of cooking equipment has been highly researched. I going to get a pot or a pan or a knife or whatever. It's going to be the best one that I can in that moment. And, and Rajiv, I gift my cooking collection to you oh, oh, so that nice. you can continue on along with a hard drive that has every episode of good eats pirated <laughs> that you need to watch oh, in order no. to collect on that equipment so that you can understand the goodness that is, Good eats, and uh, they will they will all hold a place of honor. <laughs> there you go, uh, Bonnie. I give you my books. I have a lot that I haven't even read yet because I know eventually I'm telling myself I'm going to read them, but I feel like you would get the most out of them. And uh, there is a painting in my living room that I inherited from my grandmother, uh, and it is a painting that in that has the most memories for me as a child because it's just this it's very sort of abstract painting that kind of has these buildings and these pathways that you're not sure like which way's up and which way's down and uh the the most significant female figure in my life was my grandmother and uh, is kind of the reason that i'm here and i feel like for the the sake of my 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 daughters and continuing that tradition of they come from a long line of women that that stand on their own two feet uh, to me, this painting represents that space in life and that there's no direction that's no, no matter how unknown you can go anywhere. Anyway, if you saw it, you'd know what I'm saying. And maybe I'll put a picture in the show notes or something, but you should. I yes. love that so this, this, I would also give to you along with that. And then Casey. Wow. Thank you, Jeff. Yes, of course. It's it's important. I, I, I'm going back to our last episode. I think it's our last episode at this point, and just like envisioning my daughters being those two that are running in front of your congregation, saying, "Oh, we could we could do that. We could do that." So, um, and then Casey, uh, I much like my kitchen, the space that I'm speaking into this microphone, my computer, my my Mac, everything. I leave to you along with detailed descriptions of all the ways to edit and make you sound great because you, your voice needs to be out there more often. And I want to give you the equipment and the means to do that. Uh, whether it's 
with the video camera or starting another or several podcasts yourself, this is yours so that you can go out and, and proclaim to the world the gospel of Casey, which is far more powerful than most gospels I've heard in my life. So uh, these, these are yours. Yes, absolutely. So I think that's everyone. Did we, did we cover our bases? Wow, guys, this is like... <laughs> I hope one of you dies so fast. <laughs> <laughs> and there's our open. Yeah, with, 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 uh, with your no. luck, Alan, it'll be me. <laughs> oh, my God. And you'll get the robot brobot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So I think then that will do it for us uh, this week. Uh, Merry Christmas, if you're celebrating that, if that's your thing, uh, at the very least, this is our last episode of the year. So we hope that your year is wonderful. Uh, we ask that you continue to uh, listen to our show because we have some amazing things happen in 2020. I, just just a little teaser here. If you've made it this far in the show and you are a fan of Irenicast, then look out because 2020, uh, we got some we got some amazing things on the horizons. Horizons? Yes, horizons, because there are many yes. horizons on the horizon of the horizon. So, uh Thank you so much. Again, uh, like we said at the end of our conversation, we really appreciate everyone listening. And if you found value in the show and you'd like to support that, you can check out irenacast.com slash support. And there you'll find all the ways that you can support the show, including a uh, PayPal link. Uh, if you want to donate to the show and help cover some of the costs, we also have uh, – and if you're doing some last-minute Christmas shopping as you're listening to this, if you go to our Amazon link and you just buy as usual, we can get a little portion of that to help move the work here forward. And then we also have our – merch uh you know we mentioned clergy drag earlier in the conversation uh we got a shirt there with casey's beautiful mug on it sporting and rocking his his clergy drag so you can check that out com slash support and don't forget to subscribe to the show to never miss an episode sometimes the algorithm and especially during the holidays apple podcasts specifically um you'll miss the episode if you're just looking for it to download it but if you're subscribed you'll get it right when it comes out and you won't miss uh, an episode at all uh, and we're on all major podcasting platforms and while you're there if the platform allows it leave us a rating and or review not because it's going to help us be found but because we just love hearing from you and any way we can do that it's amazing so um, yeah so for this week I'm Jeff I'm Alan I'm Bonnie I'm Casey and this is Rajiv thanks for joining the conversation see you next year Thank you.